All right, this morning we are in part four of our study of ancient paths, and this terminology comes out of something that the prophet Jeremiah said. So let me just remind you of Jeremiah's statement in Jeremiah 6, verse 16. And, you know, we've never gone back much into the context of Jeremiah's statement there, but, but Jeremiah was serving in some declining and troubled times. And quite honestly, I I think Jeremiah's times probably felt a bit like our times. I I think in terms of the religious world, the spiritual world in the West where we are in touch, it's not true all over the world, but it is true here. These are declining times for many, many who are trying to come to understand Christianity and walk with God. And so one of the things that. Jeremiah spoke to the people in that setting was in Jeremiah 6 verse 16. He says, thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. Right, so here's an interesting presentation. The God of the universe stands in front of the creation that he has made. And he says, you know, I, I get that life feels restless, confusing, overwhelming at times, burdensome. I, I've got some ways for you to find rest for your souls. And that's the offer that God makes. And he still makes that same offer today. And you'll find rest by engaging some things, walking some ancient paths, right? So so at some point, this stuff shows up in your 24-hour schedule. It becomes real. And, And I get God does stuff in our lives that's very mysterious, doesn't he? Almost like no explanation. Just God can awaken things in our hearts. God can produce joy and a sense of faith in our lives. He can do things that you and I just can't even figure out where that came from. And he operates that way. But that's not the only way that he operates. As a matter of fact, you might can make an argument that that's more of an exceptional way that he operates. He tends to call us to respond to him in certain ways. And those pathways that we walk on, we encounter things on those pathways that have an impact on us. So if you're here and you're feeling like, man, I'm living a life that's needing some rest from my soul, well, there may be some paths that God is saying, hey, walk in these ways and you will experience in your soul an impact, right? So here's the premise of this little series that we're doing. It's this, God has given us these ancient paths in life to travel on. So that we might encounter him and be enchanted by him instead of the things in our personal land. We started the year off talking about the the power of the land that we live in to enchant us. To just get underneath our skin and and to give us its reasons for us to get up in the morning and live life and, and do the life that we have. And we said during that series, the only hope for us to fight enchantment is with enchantment. The only way to escape being overcome in our desires is to want something more. And so you, you, can't, you can't do battle with sin and you can't do battle with stuff, things that corrupt our lives by just saying, don't do that. Stop it. 
Christians don't do that. Let me guilt you into that. You, you, you can't fight that way. You've got to fight desires with a greater desire. And that's how God's created us. And so we fight enchantment with the things of this world with a greater enchantment. But if you don't travel any of these pathways, you're not going to have much of a chance of being enchanted by God. And if you're not enchanted by God, then you're not going to be defeating the other enchantments that show up at your doorstep. But, you know, here's an interesting thing, right? God offers this, this rest for the soul. Here's a promise of God. I'm going to do something deep inside of you that's going to mean something to you. And they said, we will not. We won't do it. So before we, you know, take offense at these knuckleheads, how dare they tell God, I will not do this. Uh, I just need to visit my own life and find out where God offers to meet me in ways that are going to deeply affect me. And I won't either, right? I won't show up in some of those places. I won't travel some of those roads either. So the question is, why won't I? Why, Why won't I travel down some of these paths? And last week, I introduced the idea to you that, you know, the interstate system of our world is designed, and this is where most people are driving these days, right? If you've got to go somewhere, you drive the interstate because it gets you there quicker and it gets you to where you want to go with the least amount of interruptions, right? So it's, it's funny, I used that illustration last week and I had two guys who were traveling this week saying, we were driving back from wherever and one of them had to get off the beaten path, the other one chose to, and exactly what we described last week happens. Right? The interstate is just this boring way of getting you to your personal interests. But the other ways, we don't travel them, even though they're more interesting. There's stuff to see, and there's things to learn, and, and just a, a much more flavorful experience. But we don't travel them because they, they're slower. They take longer. And we've got things to do, right? Places to be. Right? We can approach God that way. There are things about relating to God that are slow. I've always said God is analog. He didn't make the digital shift. I mean, prayer is an analog exercise, isn't it? Reading the Bible. Oh my gosh. There's no pictures in this thing. Can you believe that? It's like this thing is not digital. It's just analog and you read it a word at a time. As a matter of fact, one of the reasons, and I know I'm I'm chasing off on rabbits. You guys didn't start my clock. We'll be here all day if you to do that. Um. You and I have gotten used to staring at images and then creating thoughts from them. The Bible is backwards from that. It gives you words and then lets you create the images. And so there's a reason why you're not attracted to reading anymore. Because the digital age has turned you into a person who wants to see graphics. I just I want to see a picture with a little bit of caption underneath it. And that's what we're after. But, but God's ways are slow and they're meditative and they're off the interstate highways. And here is one today that we're going to be visiting. That's actually, it's quite simple, but it's got its own built-in reasons as to why some of us don't want to travel down this ancient path. It is the ancient path of confession. Turn to Psalm 32 with me. Let's visit King David as he travels down this ancient path of confession And I want to highlight, uh, Just I'm going to mention David just briefly because his personal situation certainly applies to this psalm. Uh, But but I think there's principles here that apply to everyone, not just King David. But before we even read from this psalm, 
recognized that even heroic figures like King David struggled and had hard places in their walk and ways in which they didn't cooperate with God and ways in which they needed to be rescued out of a bad situation, right? And, and listen, I, I know you can feel that way. You go to church, you get around people who seem to be all cleaned up, polished up, and then you get off track and you can feel like I'm, I'm the only one who's a knucklehead like this. No, and then we sort of cover things up. We have this shame thing that goes on. All right, this is one of the most heroic characters in all the Bible. And his situation informing this psalm is that he has committed adultery, got a woman pregnant, and murdered her husband. This is a rated PG uh, message, but... In the Bible, y'all know the Bible's not rated PG. I mean, it's got some stuff in it, right? So he creates this internal misery because how many of you know that David didn't do the right thing after he did the wrong thing? For quite some time. It looks as though, and this isn't spelled out super clearly, but it looks as though it's about a year before King David does what he should have done at day one. So if you're here today and you're recognizing, you know, I I don't always do the right thing after I've done the wrong thing. Okay. You and me both and King David as well. And there's some help here as we read. So let's read Psalm 32 together. David says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against Whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts In the Lord, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, these are words of the many that could have been preserved. You chose these, recorded them, passed them on from generation to generation. They bring insight to us today, insight we need that we might find rest for our souls So, Lord, give our hearts to these words and give these words into our heart today. In Jesus' name, amen. 
But let me just quickly gather some thoughts that are here. There's a couple of segments here. First couple of verses, a great blessed condition exists for man. Next couple of verses, a very unblessed condition can exist for man. And then there's this hinge that takes place that, that turns us from unblessed to blessed, right? So we want to catch this hinge here and learn from it. Look at this blessed condition. I'm not going to develop this at all. Next week we'll visit an aspect of this in the realm of forgiveness. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now next week we're going to talk about the ancient path of forgiveness. Forgiveness. And so I'm not going to go into that passage. But the goodness of that passage was not David's experience as he's writing this psalm. And this is not his experience. Look in verse 3. For when I kept silent... My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. And what's happened with his experience here? Well, David has done what many have the potential of doing, I think I wrote this out in your outline there, here at face value in his experience. This is a man whose life contains the choice, the pursuit, the momentary indiscretion, or the practice of sin. It could be in any of those categories. Right? It could be, some, some, some of us have momentary indiscretions that's actually the word, the prophetic word that was given this morning described that. A momentary indiscretion that has produced long-lasting and widespread damage. It's not been the long-term practice, but for some it is the long-term practice. For some, it's giving in to a pattern, it's developing a habit, it's making room for something over and over and over again. And he is then faced with the question of what do I do now? So you've, you've sinned. You've practiced sin. You've remained in sin. What do you do now? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's not as complicated as life might make it sound. You really have one of two options in a generic sense. And there's a lot to do to maybe clean up messes. But there's one of two options. You can bring it into the light. Or you can keep it in the dark. And that's about it. Now what you do after you do those things might have a lot of details after it. But your first decision. I can bring this into the light. And this ancient path that we're talking about today is the means of bringing it into the light. It is the ancient path of confession. If I confess something, I am, I am going to expose it to what God has said, because that's the nature of confession. Confession basically is to say the same thing as God says. 
It's not to take sin and acquire some different definition from some other place. My own definition, my own explanation, my own blend of excuse with understandability. You know, that's not confession. Confession is just to stare at the thing and say, God, what do you see? And whatever God sees in that, I say the same thing as him. That's, that's what confession is. And to confess something is to bring it into the light. But that's not what everybody does, right? And there's reasons why we won't do that. Maybe, maybe we feel safer and better just to keep this thing under wraps. Maybe to manage it. Maybe to not let it come out any longer and keep it over here hidden away from others. But the, the problem is it begins to create problems that you might not be aware that some of these problems that David had were related to the fact that he had tucked away sin in his life. There was an unconfessed issue in his life. And look what it produced in his life. It produced physical and emotional difficulties. That's what he's describing. Which, you know, I'm not sure which one comes first. I think in this kind of category, I think the emotional ones come first. But you guys know this, right? I mean, when you get emotionally strung out and emotionally upside down, at some point, you need to pay attention. You are a physical and spiritual and emotional being all bound in one. There's not these clear borders in you. You, you bleed over. And so if there's emotional upheaval, it's not as though that stays in its territory and physically you're completely unaffected, right? It bleeds over. You, you produce stress. That shows up in your physical body. So you could, be, you could be having fatigue issues and restlessness issues and even health issues. And that's what he was experiencing here. And who would have thought? And I don't know the last time you went to a doctor and the doctor and he said, Doc, I'm, um, I've got this symptom, this symptom, this symptom, this symptom. And he says, you got any unconfessed sin? <laughs> you know, the doctor doesn't do that. But this doctor does that, right? Maybe there's an issue that God... Now, now listen, let me be careful when I say that. If you're one of those people with a hypersensitive conscience and you're going to walk out of here cross-examining yourself up one side and down the other, you confessed yesterday, but now you're thinking, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, there's, there's something hidden because I had a cold last week. And, uh, you know, please don't do that. Please come talk to me afterwards before you walk out of here miserable and do that to yourself. But he also talked about his lack of strength. Right? And, I, and I think that, that gives into categories like, I just, I'm just unmotivated. David just became a man who was unmotivated. Just wasn't eager to get up, face the day, take on a challenge, advance something that, that was challenging. I just, you know, I just don't feel like doing anything. And in his heart, he started feeling like God, even God was against him. He says, I felt your hand upon me. Well, what do you do with this? Well, he's about to turn a corner here. And you remember Psalm 73 that we visited the psalmist a few weeks ago? That psalmist is very similar here, right? Bad experience, disconnected from God, emotions are out of control, brute toward God, shaking his fist, not having a party here. Until he walked an ancient path. And he encountered God in the sanctuary. And suddenly... A massive change happens. Well, that's exactly what's about to happen here to David. Verse 5. After saying, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Then he says, I acknowledged my sin to you. And I did not cover 
my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. What a difference it made. Maybe a year later, King David decides, I think I'm going to get off of the interstate highway of life. And I'm going to walk this ancient path. And I'm going to acknowledge and confess and bring out in the open, into the light, what has been hidden. John Piper says the main point Verse 1 and 2, namely to be forgiven is a very happy condition. Verses 3 to 5 tell us how to attain that happy state. How to attain it. And this is interesting because you and I live in a New Testament era where whatever needed to get done has been done. Jesus Christ did everything that needed to be done in order to obtain for us forgiveness. But your experiencing of that forgiveness might have quite a bit to do with what you do or don't do in response to God. And I can show you on paper that you're forgiven, but how many of you guys know that you don't always feel forgiven? Right? Even though you know on paper you're forgiven, but you don't feel forgiven. Well, that, that takes, you're going to have to actually walk a path if you want to feel it. He says, first, negatively, don't try to conceal your sin from God, verses 3 and 4. Then positively, acknowledge your sin, confess it to God, So the point of verse 1 to 5 is the person who does not conceal his sins but confesses them to God will find the tremendous happiness of a clean conscience and peace with God. Don't undervalue that. There's anything your soul needs. Listen, your soul was created for communion with God. And when that gets messed up, you can fix everything about your life that you want. You can get a bigger paycheck. You can go buy something new, a new thing to play with. Go somewhere on a trip. Have some change of scenery. But your soul wasn't created ultimately for those things. It was created ultimately for communion with God. And so if that's been disrupted, uh, there's nothing like the happiness of a clean conscience and peace with God. It's invaluable. Now, he travels this path i want to take you to see some of the scenery as we said last week these paths have scenery on them right so when you drive down these paths you take stuff in you see stuff and and it captures you and it awakens things in you about god and about your life and about your existence right so he's going to venture into some scenery here let's let's travel through his scenery and i'm going to give you some more scenery that's coming from outside this psalm in a moment verse Six, he says, therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. So confession is a form of prayer. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. What's on the other side of walking out confession to God? A deep, abiding, greater awareness of God's protection, of his covering of you, of his delivering power. And these are things we forget about. We're not mindful of these things when there is sin being hidden and managed by us. We get distracted from this good news. I, I, you know, I need this stuff. I, I need this stuff on a daily basis. I, I need a sense that God is for me. 
that God is protecting me as I go through life. I, I need that. If I lose a sense of that because I'm tucked away sin in my life and I'm traveling fast down the interstates of life and I haven't seen these things, I, I'm not going to function well and you're not either. John Piper says, the man who prays and confesses his sin to God is blessed, not only because of what God does not do, namely impute iniquity to him, but he's also blessed by what God does do, namely preserve him from trouble and surround him with songs of deliverance. God is not only not against him, he is mightily for him. And it's really hard to be in touch with that when you have allowed sin to remain and to be unconfessed and you know you have some form of allegiance to that thing. That's why you're protecting it. It's very hard to be aware of God accurately in that moment. Verse 80, he says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. When he travels this ancient path of confession, he suddenly becomes aware of God's counsel and, and God's leadership. And God is speaking to him again. Right? This might be an interesting symptom to diagnose. If you're wondering, you've been in a season where you feel like, I'm just not hearing anything from God. I'm just not getting anything from God. You know, I just feel like God is so distant. And there could be multiple reasons as to why that is. But, you know, if you're sitting down, you're reading the Bible, and you're like, you know, I'm not, I'm not getting anything out of this. I, just, I read the Bible, I don't get anything out of it. You know, I come to church, and sorry, Keith. You know, thanks for preaching, but I'm just not getting anything out of it. Well, it could be a bad preacher. That, that, could, that could be the reason. It could also be David's experience. There are issues that you're just unwilling to deal with and bring into the light that are making you dull and you just don't hear anything. You don't interact with God. There's no freshness there's no sense of joy and anticipation and God communicated something to me. And I, I need that. I need a fresh sense that God is saying something to me that's living and that's today and that's right here and it's close by. In verse 10, he says, Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. So David associates in this psalm the act of confession with with trusting the Lord. To bring something into the light is an act of trusting God. To keep it hidden is an act of not trusting God. Right? I think that makes sense. I wrote your outline there. The actions of confession are seen as an act of trusting the Lord. I mean, just think about it. You've got something that's gone on, something shameful that maybe has consequences that you can identify with. Something that if you brought it into the light, it means you can't keep doing it. Right? I mean, it's tax season, right? All right, let's just, let's land where we are, right? So maybe there's a practice that's been developed, a little bit of dishonesty on the tax thing going on. For whatever reason, you feel like, yeah, I'm just not going to report this or that piece, you know, and I've never been caught. But, you know, just, you know, on the inside, that's, that's not a good thing. 
but you kind of keep it. You don't confess it. You don't bring it into the light. Well, you know, because if you brought it into the light, there'd be a consequence to that, right? You'd have to stop doing it. Why would you not want to stop doing it? Well, because it's saving me some money, Keith. It saves me money to do it this way. And I don't know how I'd make it if I had to pay taxes on that. I'd have less money. Right? That's a trust issue, isn't it? That's me saying, if, if I, God, if I do the right thing with this situation, I don't know if I can live in the consequences of doing the right thing in the future. Because I don't know if you'll be with me in that moment. Because I don't know if you'll provide for me the real need that I have right there. Ultimately, if I'm hesitant to do the right thing, it's because I think God won't show up sufficiently. And cheating or doing something quiet on the side that nobody knows anything about is a more secure future for me than trusting God. Do you understand how confession is a trust issue? If I bring something into the light... Well, if I do it in the way in which the Bible is describing confession, it's going to lead me into repentance, right? So I'm not going to teach on repentance today, way too big a topic. I just want to get us to the place where we're on the verge of repenting, which is what real confession does. There's no such thing as confession, by the way, that has no repentance in sight. To say the same thing as God is to posture yourself now to be in agreement with God about that thing and therefore to be prepared to repent. And if I'm having a hard time confessing, it might be because I don't have faith for the future if I bring this out into the open. And ultimately, that's a trusting God issue. Well, you know, I've sinned against my family. I've sinned against my wife. I, yeah, I can't bring this thing out in the open. Let me just tell you, you can't keep living with it hidden. You cannot keep living with it hidden. You've got more symptoms going on in your life than you possibly can figure out. I'm just explaining a few of them to you today. But, man, if I, if I bring this out in the open, oh my gosh, man. There'd be so many things. There'd be work issues and there'd be, uh, listen, quit, quit talking yourself out of trusting God. That's what you're doing, right? If I bring it into the light... My world will exist in a form that God can't show up and help me. Really? God specializes in touching broken, dead things. He's a specialist in that. So if he needs to resurrect something, trust him. He can resurrect it. Listen, the one thing you can't do is stay where you are with that thing in the dark. You cannot stay there. It will haunt you in all kinds of ways. Here's the end result of David's experience. He says, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in hearts. Ah. David says, the weight is off of me. I was being crushed like an elephant sitting on my chest with this thing hidden. But what joy came when it was in the light and it was exposed and all the stuff that I had done that had been hidden was no longer something I was trying to manage in the darkness. What a weight was lifted. This is a man who simply in his life got off the interstate, took the next exit, which said, ancient path of confession. 
think I need that. Got off his busy life, interstate experience, traveled down this path and experienced these things. Now, I want to highlight a few other things because Psalm 32 is not intended to be an exhaustive teaching on everything you're going to see on this path. But let me just highlight a couple of things here for you. Here's what you're going to encounter on the path of confession that's extremely important. Right, one, the path of confession allows us to encounter an accurate self-awareness. An accurate self-awareness. Right? What you're going to do when you travel down confession is you're going to pick up real pieces of your life. Real decisions that you have made. Real practices that you have been involved with. Real things that you have neglected to do. And you're going to pick those things up. And you're going to see them right in front of you. So however you'd like to see yourself, however you'd like to feel about yourself, you'd like to give yourself an A, whatever it is, you don't like to stare at that stuff because I like to feel good about me. To have something to confess is to end up touching something that's not going to flatter you. It's not going to make you feel special amongst the rest of creation. And this is why we avoid it, by the way. I don't want to see myself that way. But I want to help you today to see, can we overcome something that's fighting for the wrong thing in that category? But here's an interesting thing in the context of our lives. Mark Sayers referenced this thought from him when we were going through the Enchanted series. He says, our achievement culture, just remember that, you live in an achievement culture. Your culture is dipped in and, and trying with all of its might to achieve something. And everybody's got to be special. And everybody's got to be great at something. At its core, powered by the rise of therapy as a kind of secular religion, has elevated feelings as the peak of human flourishing. He says the greatest good is to feel good. How many of you can imagine that confessing initially won't make you feel good? Now, remember verse 11 though. It ends up in you feeling good for a whole bunch of reasons that you never even knew you could feel good about. But initially, it just doesn't feel all that good. The contemporary life script of the achievement culture is to arrange a life that delivers constant pleasurable feelings. To keep the social and psychic borders up. To keep negative feelings outside. When positive emotions become the pinnacle of personal growth, a tyranny of feelings is quickly established. And that tyrannical king will reign right here first. Because when you go to confess, you've got to face the fact that you just ain't all that. Or you wouldn't have done that. You'd have made the right decision. You just stopped doing that habit a long time ago. So when you get around confession, it's not flattering. It's, 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 not, does, it's not a feel-good moment. But if the thing, the gatekeeper of your soul is, I only gravitate toward the things that make me feel good. Well, I'm not going to gravitate toward confession. I'm done. I'm done with confessing things. Look at Philippians chapter 3. You can look at two thoughts from Philippians. So if you want to turn there, we'll be there for a second. Philippians chapter 3. This is particularly wise input and insights for an achievement culture. Verse 3. For we are the circumcision 
who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. All right, so this passage is going to go to war with an achievement culture that wants to put its confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised. On the eighth day, the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. All things, right? Can you include in that reputation? Right? Sometimes we don't bring things into the light because it will, it will wreck our reputation. People won't be impressed with us anymore. You see, when, when there's no confidence in the flesh, there's no flesh project going on, we get free to be able to do those things. I've suffered the loss of all things. Count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Listen, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That little passage is a massively important passage. Theologically, it weighs tons. Just that one verse nine weighs tons because it interferes with what is motivating you and me to do whatever it is that we're doing. Am I seeking to have a righteousness of my own? Don't answer that too quickly. That word righteousness, right? We're used to hearing it trailer hitched to self-righteousness, right? And that's what this is. It's a self-righteousness. But when I I say self-righteous, you already have a definition for that. It's snooty, highbrowed, don't you think you're something when you're not? All right, that's what we think of self-righteousness. Let me use the word self-rightness instead of self-righteousness, right? Look at this little thought I put in your outline. Are you aware of where... You are seeking to mine out your righteousness, your sense of rightness. What is it that will make you feel right about yourself, about your life, about how you are doing and who you are? What is it that gives you a sense of self-peace? My life is in a good place. I I like me. I like the way things are. I, I like who I am. What is that that makes you feel right? I don't know how much of this I wrote in your outline, but it's worth me just reading. It's very easy to make our own achievement or uniqueness or success or discipline or avoidance of vices or superior comparison the basis for our personal sense of rightness. Some of us can feel right about ourselves just by looking around us and saying, well, I'm not as bad as everybody else. I mean, I might stink too, but I don't stink as bad as the people I've been hanging around. So, you know, that gives me a little sense of rightness. I can feel right about me at some level. 
Or those people, you know, who come into covenant group and they confess stuff that you have never done and you can't imagine you would ever do. Oh my gosh. Makes you feel kind of right, huh? I've never done that. I've never got, gotten out of control like that. And even though we're not saying we're perfect, we just feel a little better about ourselves. Right? Or maybe, you know, you come in here, you start learning to do some of these ancient path things. You read your Bible, you pray, you got a little bit of that going on. You, 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 that can begin to be the thing that makes you feel right about yourself. I've got a prayer life. I got a title. I'm a pastor, for goodness sake. Got to be something right about me. Do you understand all these things can be the source of our rightness? It can be us seeking to have a righteousness of our own. Now, here's the debilitating issue. When I do the theological homework of not seeking a righteousness of my own derived from the law, then I find the freedom... To self-explore. I can look at myself and find out that I'm not all that awesome and not all that cool. A sure sign that we are theologically uninformed and unequipped to live the Christian life is that we lack the freedom and courage to look at ourselves honestly. This, this, this issue is subtle and it gets inside of our bloodstream and it begins to affect things in ways that we're, we're just not aware that things that we're being affected this way. Right? It, it will give us an aversion to anything, any kind of message that gets preached, any Bible passage that you read that's, that's, that, that, that has a mirror-like effect on you. Right? And although the Bible actually is described as being a mirror that we, we hold it up and we see ourselves. Let you guys know if this is the mirror that you're seeing yourself through, you might see some things that you don't think are all that impressive. So what's the remedy to that? Put that mirror down. Right? I don't want to hear those kinds of messages. I don't want to feel like I'm being corrected. Okay? All right, listen, I get that. And sometimes I can say some things that are edgy and probably even offensive. So I, I get that. But the nature of what God has put in his word, you know, the word of God, all scripture is inspired, it's breathed out by God, and it's profitable for what? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training. Both correction and training have a sense of steering you away from whatever it is that you were doing on your own. And that's why I cannot, I cannot, I must not as a Christian have an aversion to being able to bump into something that says, dude, you're doing it wrong. Dude, you're out of bounds. Dude, you've fallen short. Dude, that doesn't work. Now, the reason why I have such an aversion for that is it messes up my self-rightness project. I was feeling pretty good about me until I came in here this morning. 
Because, you know, I had trained myself all week to stare at the categories that I'm impressed with, that I do pretty well, that I don't screw up like that other guy does that he confessed on Thursday night in our covenant group meeting, that I don't manage my money the way this person does, that I'm not in debt this way. You know, it's like you just, you just grab the categories that you're good at and you've probably been naturally good at, right? You've been stingy your whole life and you've had a budget since you were four. And so now you're 44 and you're looking at the guy who's in debt going... You know, it's just a lack of discipline. That's what it is, you know. I feel good about it. I feel right about me right now. Okay, can I just make you stare at this category in your life, buddy? Like, no, I I prefer not to look at that one. See, if if I'm on a self-rightness project, I need to be very careful about what I get around. And I, I don't want to be fully exposed to God's word. Because I don't want to discover that I might fall short. Because that would be really, really, really hard to manage if my goal is to be impressed with me. Somewhere in your outline there, I put this thought. But the great joy and liberty of the Christian life is that all our righteousness is imputed righteousness. It is received. It is not achieved. Any sense of rightness has been given to us as a gift from God based on the accomplishments of Jesus Christ on our behalf. So I don't have to have an aversion to self-explore and self-discovery. If I discover that there's something about me that's not all that great, I'm as right as I'm ever going to get because of what Christ has done for me. That's not a project I'm after. But do I want to change that for the glory of God? Do I want to stop doing that that way for the benefit of everybody in my world? Yes! Not because it improves my resume. Because my resume doesn't get me anywhere. Only Jesus' resume gets me hired in the kingdom of God. Alright, second thought. On your path of confession, this path allows us to encounter humility. Alright, if you turn back in Philippians chapter 2, this passage beginning in verse 2, says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, right? If you're on a self-rightness project, it's hard not to do what that verse just said. But also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. This is, this is God found in rags. This is the richest being in the history of creation found as a pauper dressed like a human being in a bad costume party. Because he doesn't, he doesn't have to prove his rightness. 
to you or anybody else. You see him as a servant. See, we avoid these places, right? But one of the things that confession does, confession simply puts us in touch with the aspects of us that are broken that needed a savior. Ways in which God is still needing to be at work in my soul and in my life to transform me and help me. And when it does that, it, it enables something. Humility, humility is like relational glue. Right? If you want to wonder why it's hard to have relationships with people, you, you might ponder, is there a lack of humility? Because without humility, it's just hard to get glued to other people when there's a lack of humility. Right? And confession helps with humility. When you stare into your own world and you don't get A's in everything, it'll help you relate to other people who aren't getting A's either. Now, if you only stare at your A categories, and everybody's got a few, and you don't stare into your D's and F's categories, then it probably won't help you a whole lot. But the things that you confess tend to be the D's and the F's issues, right? I've failed at this. I thought this way. My actions were this my, my motive was this God I confess that to you. you you get in touch with your own sense of brokenness and and then you know married couples then you're married to somebody who's got their own version of brokenness you know what will come into your marriage humility you know what comes with humility love and unity comes in with it and I know this is an interesting thing, just kind of to trace this out. You know, if you say so you're in a marriage full of contention, coldness, aloofness, we're distant, don't, we don't speak to each other well, etc., etc., etc. Back up from that. Why is that? Well, it's more than likely it, it is a lack of humility, it is an awareness of the other person's fault, but not an awareness of your own. So all you can do is take that person to task and point out to them how selfish they are and how much they fail because you're very, very, very aware of that. And in our culture, our culture doesn't teach you to be aware of yourself. It teaches you to be aware of everybody else and how they are to blame. If you step back from a lack of humility, I would bet you will find a lack of confession. You haven't gotten off the road of the interstate in a long time and traveled down the the path of confession where you've stood in the presence of God, acknowledged to him, yes, Lord, Holy Spirit, lead me. What do you see? What are you leading me to acknowledge before you? And you've done that in a way that's made you become human all over again so that now you might deal with your spouse or or, or, family members. Listen, this this happens in families, parents, Warning to parents, kids take, kids take notes and use this against your parents when you get home. You know, there's something about always being uh, the, the, the person in authority, being older and raising children from helplessness as an infant all the way up through their life. There's, there's something about your superiority to them that never goes away. And so your, your kids can push back and say things, go through life. And, and it might be very unfamiliar for them to come in contact with you ever acknowledging that you fall short, that you didn't do that right. You're to blame. And if confession is a foreign thing in our souls, then they will never know a parent 
who ever acknowledge their own brokenness, their own need, their own lack, their own lack of superiority. They're just always right. Because you have the authority to tell them you're right, right? But there's no humility in your relationship. And I gotta, I gotta guess this, I'm sorry. If there's no humility, it's probably because there's not much confession going on. Because confession makes you aware that you just, you just ain't all that, even as a parent. Listen, this is critical in a church setting. I am blown away, blown away. I'm about to teach 1 Corinthians, and I'm not sure I'm not starting in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. Because I find Christians among each other to be some of the most unloving people in the world. I'm going to explain why that is when we get into the Corinthians passage. Because there's something about having principles and truth that when you and I go to apply those things, we get really ugly with them. And we don't know how to do that very well. To have a church that's going to actually walk together, it might mean the members of that church need humility. They need to get that, oh, you know that person who disappointed you, who overlooked you, who said something bad about you, who didn't acknowledge or appreciate something of your contribution? You know that person? Are you aware that you do those things too? Are you aware that if I took somebody on this side of the church and compared you with somebody on that side of the church who says, you know, that person didn't speak to me, are you aware that you don't ever acknowledge some of these people? You don't ever make room for them? Do you ever remember that some of them had a crisis in their life, had a death? You didn't show up for their funeral? You aware of any of that? No, I'm just aware that you didn't show up for my funeral. These people around here don't care. Hey, you know what? I'm at the funerals and I can tell you, you didn't care about them. Because you weren't there for them either. See, but if I'm not aware of that, I'm just aware of what you do and what you don't do. And you just can't do relationships very well in that category, right? Confession helps us. The path of confession allows me to encounter a fresh awareness of grace. Right? This is valuable. Charles Spurgeon said, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Beloved, you must know the bitterness of sin before you can know the blessedness of forgiveness. And you must have a sight of sin as shall break your heart before you can understand the blessedness of the divine covering. Otherwise, it's cheap, isn't it? It's a cheap covering. The Bible teaches a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. A godly sorrow and awareness with an emotional weight attached to it of what I've been doing, of what I've been hiding. Now listen, I know right now I'm as unpopular sounding as anything you've heard in months to say that to you. Because the world is discipling us to only feel good about ourselves. Please see that. Otherwise, your days in this church are numbered. And by the way, your days of reading this Bible are numbered as well. But you're going to look up one day and you're going to try and figure out, why do relationships not work? Why is my life so miserable in relating to people? This is why. Because we don't have the heart to look at ourselves in a way that produces humility in ourselves. And therefore, I've got nothing to relate with you about. These are, the enchantment of our age is producing this kind of stuff. And I'm running the, the great risk that 
This might be on one of your social media pages. So I don't do social media, so you can just wonder how on earth did I even find this stuff. All right, these are common social media posts. Here's one. Surround yourself with people who only lift you higher. Now that works in a culture that's teaching you the most important thing about your life is to feel good and to achieve your goals. That's what it's teaching you. So if that's the philosophy of life, it makes sense. Surround your people, yourself with people who only lift you higher. Now, now here's the... I don't think how obnoxious I want to be about this phrase. <laughs> All right, here, here's the less than ideal component of this phrase. Um, question... Do you always lift everybody else higher? And so therefore, would you be the first to be excluded by everyone else? Because you're on your own self-right project. You're just looking for people who are furthering what you're into. And you don't even notice what everybody else is into. And whether you're helping to lift them higher. So would you be the first on everybody else's list to say, don't get around him. Because he ain't going to help lift me higher. All right, second. Can Jesus function with these as his bumper sticker? Jesus, surround yourself with people who only lift you higher. Now, interestingly, he did. They lifted him about eight feet off the ground on a cross. But they didn't all stand around and go, oh, look, let's all be part of the Jesus Club. This is incredible. This is the Son of God. How amazing. Gather. Let's worship together. They didn't do that, did they? And if Jesus had lived this bumper sticker, he would have stayed in heaven. Where that's all they did is stand around the throne and say, holy, holy, holy is the God of all glory and creation. Here's another good one. Positive vibes only. Okay, if that's on your car or on your Facebook page, you're going to get about two feet off the interstate onto the path of confession, stop the car, put it in reverse, and get right back on. <laughs> because the first thing that's going to come to mind by the Holy Spirit to confess is not going to feel positive. You can't, here's another good one, you can't do epic things with basic people. I'm just wondering, anybody in here feeling at least basic? <laughs> right? See, this is a lack of humility. This is a lack of self-awareness. This is an advertisement for, I'm capable of doing epic things if I could just shake some of you losers around me. <laughs> right? So I've got a huge opinion about me, and I don't have much of an opinion about you, and I have been taught by the culture to have that. But I get taught by the Bible to have a low opinion of myself. To properly question motives and reasons inside of me and be guided by the Holy Spirit. And because I have been released, fired from the job of my self-rightness, Jesus fired me from that job. He said, I don't need your help. I will make you as right as you're ever going to be. I'll take care of that. You are fired. So I don't have to do that. So if I discover something that doesn't feel like positive vibes, I, that's okay for me. Because that, that's not my project. If it introduces me to humility and makes me realize I am the source of discomfort for my wife. 
I fail my children. I am not the best pastor. Every aspect of my life, I can look at myself and see, oh my gosh, there's so much room to grow. I so desperately need God in my life. That's not a bad place to be. And you know, if you walk in this for a while and train your heart in it for a while, you you, you start getting rescued from needing everybody to tell you how great you are. That's why, you know, I don't go to that church or I don't go to that covenant group or I'm not around those people because they just don't applaud me enough. You'd be amazed if that was your motive, wouldn't you? But it just might be your motive. You know how you discover that? Confessing to God. That's what we're going to do now. Eric, you can come back up here. That that last little box. I want want to talk about confessing, but I actually want you, everybody's here, you know, here for the next few minutes. Your, Your car is no longer on the interstates. Can we all just drive down this ancient path of confession this morning together? So if that's going to happen, if you're going to do that in your heart right now, and if you're going to make this a practice in your life as a Christian, one, you're going to have to abandon any kind of self-rightness project. You can't do this if you can't bear to be seen in need or failing or not measuring up. So if that's really what you're about this morning, you're going to sit this next part out. And you're probably going to sit out confession in the future as well. Second, the Holy Spirit led awareness and acknowledgement and agreement with God. Uh, Being led into confession is not for amateurs. It's for the professional. God has sent his spirit into the world to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. There's, There's no one who can clarify these issues it's, it's, your culture can't, you can't, your traditions can't, your mom and them can't, your personality can't, your personality can't. Did you hear me say that? It's amazing how your personality will find everybody else is wrong in a category. And it's basically just your personality. But then your personality also finds you wrong. And it's just your personality. Right? The Holy Spirit needs to lead you into issues and things that he wants you to confess. Third, ownership and responsibility. Not seeking to explain away or create an excuse or transfer blame to others. I'm just seeking, how am I responsible for my attitude or my actions or my neglect? How am I responsible for that? What what do I need to take responsibility? Yeah, somebody else did something. Yeah, okay. That's their issue to confess then. What am I responsible for? And fourth, a posture that is prepared for repentance. Like I said, this is not a teaching on repentance. This is taking you up to the edge of repentance, which is what confession does for us. All right, so right now, and ask yourself this question. Nobody raise a hand. When was the last time I sat in the presence of God and said, search me, O God, and know my heart? And try my ways and my thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me. When was the last time I invited God into the spaces of my life, into my home, into my private personal activities, into my work environment, 
into the church, into my TV viewing, whatever it is, whatever category of life. When was the last time I invited the Holy Spirit to say, what do you think about that, Lord? Let me, I just want to agree with you about these things. God, what, what do you see here that you want to bring to my attention? Now remember, at the end of King David's venture was a man full of rejoicing. It really was good for his soul to confess before God. So can you just cast aside the feelings right now that might be saying, oh, this does not sound fun. It may not feel fun in the beginning, but what a joy it is on the other side of it. So can I just ask everybody, if you just would take a moment, let's bow our heads and our hearts, let's invite God by his spirit to be among us. Lord, we we thank you for wisdom that brings rest to our souls. We might not have created this one. But you know that we need it. And God, thank you for how rich, as we'll visit next week, how confession in your word is linked to forgiveness. So Lord, we we don't venture into confession with the sense that it doesn't lead anywhere. It takes us into the realm of cleansed forgiveness. So Lord, we want to give you an invitation. Holy Spirit, would you right now lead us? Lead us into the places of our lives, the relationships of our lives. Lord, expose the words that we've spoken, the actions that we've taken, the habits that we practice. Lord, what do you say about those? How do you you feel about those? Holy Spirit, lead us into the places of our hearts, our our thoughts, our attitudes. What have I been complaining lately? Holy Spirit, would you want to convict me about my ungratefulness? About my unbelief? my fears that ruin day after day Lord how would you lead me into an awareness of Maybe some of my priorities, the things that I'm neglecting that matter to you. What are there places I'm 
been called by you to serve that I have ignored? Is there obedience to lay down my life for others that I just have not prioritized? Lord, what do you say about these things? How do you feel about them? I want to say the same thing, Lord. I want to confess. I want to acknowledge them before your presence. I want to start trusting you, Lord, with these Lord, I've not confessed because I'm afraid to. I'm afraid of what you would want me to do if I acknowledge this, if I take ownership of it, if I admit that it's part of my life. But this morning, Lord, I thank you for meeting me here to remind me to trust you that all the days of my life are firmly in your hands before there was one of them and you have plans and purposes that you will fulfill for my good and for your glory so Lord I I trust you I trust you to bring this into the light the Lord wants to impart faith to some folks who right now you are right now aware that what you are confessing is going to involve steps of faith in the days ahead and I believe the Lord wants to meet you he wants to honor your trust this morning and impart faith to you and I I want to pray for you So I'm going to ask you to come forward. If you're here and the Lord is leading you in confession of something that's going to require you to take steps of faith in the days ahead, I believe the Lord wants to impart faith to you. So have some courage. You've already made a decision by confessing this that you're going to bring this into the light. Boy, what will really help you right now? If you come forward... And you get some faith to bring this into the light. Just make your way up to the front. I'm not going to ask you to confess what your issue is. We're just going to pray for faith for you to go and do what God calls you to do. We gathered this morning for prayer before our service. And I found myself praying for relational miracles this morning. Relational miracles. 
for people who are in broken relationships and specifically the thoughts of marriages, of parents, of adult children, where there are broken relationships that I believe God wants to impart humility and a greater sense of self-awareness in order to bring healing into marriages that have become hard and cold and resistant. Let God this morning meet you. Let him meet you. Stop. If you could receive what this pathway offers you, I promise you, it'll change the way you are married to another person. It will change the way you relate to somebody who's offended you, whether they be your child or your parent. If you let God make you a little bit more human this morning, you'll be amazed at what kind of glue that'll provide for your relationships. Anybody here still need to come forward? Please don't miss some grace here this morning from God. Bible teaches us about some mystery that we lay hands on one another we pray for one another and it's, it's mysterious how grace is imparted through that moment but there's folks standing up here who right now are, are going to venture into categories that they need they need humility and they need faith for the next steps maybe something that's been around for a year or more is, is in their life that's going to be hard to break the orbit of that thing But they're here this morning, and what a huge step to stand publicly and say, I'm I'm moving forward from where I've been. Could I ask some folks to come care for these guys, to come pray for them, to have faith with them for the days ahead, to pray for humility and grace from God? You don't need to know what's going on specifically. was a word given earlier in the service about addictions addictions are hotbeds for a lack of confession because there's, it takes a lot of trust to walk into a future and there's usually a lot of shame because there's been a lot of hiding and a lot of deception with that but but the man who had that word didn't prepare this message, didn't know this message was coming, just had a word from God that he should share that. And so that's God's grace showing up to specifically pull out your license plate and saying, you're parked in the wrong space. If your license plate is A-D-D-I-C-T-I-O-N, God specifically is calling on you this morning. Don't, don't, don't miss grace when it comes to you. 
Pray while God may be found, David said. God is here this morning. He's orchestrated this moment to meet with you. So if you're needing prayer in a category like that, come, come forward and come confess to God. Come seek grace. It is here. Grace is here this morning. Pray as the Lord is leading you to pray for these folks. If you're up here to receive from God, sense the Holy Spirit, acknowledge to Him, say back to Him how He feels about the issue that He's addressing in your life. Confess it. Come into agreement with God. That's the greatest thing that needs to happen in confession. Come into agreement with God. Don't excuse. Don't blame others. Just come into agreement with God and trust Him. Entrust this to him. Just pray that. Sarah's going to lead us for a moment. Just pray as the Lord's leading you individually and as you're up here praying for folks. Be led by the Spirit to pray particular ways for them. Forgive us for our pride When our faith becomes a show Dressed in righteous deeds to hide All the stains below We have judged your sons and daughters For the sin that is our own May we now forgive each other And lay down our stones Forgiven, forgiven Through the blood of Christ we are forgiven Lord forgive us for our love Of the things we wish to own We forsake the feast above For all the crumbs below Though you've made us sons and daughters We do not the world disown May we find our greatest treasure Is in you alone Forgiven Forgiven Through the blood of Christ we are forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. Through the blood of Christ we are forgiven. Lord, forgive us for our shame. When we can't release the past When we're quick to take the blame But forget we're free at last We avoid your sons and daughters For the fear we don't belong Give us eyes to see each other Through your only Son 
we are forgiven 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 through the blood of Christ we are forgiven David said, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Well, this is deep, cherished, wonderful truth. Lord, today we travel down a path that puts us in touch with our humanity, with our brokenness, with our ever-present need for you. That's not a bad place. Lord, you are quick to reveal your forgiveness to us. God, we don't simply acknowledge our sin and continue with its polluting power in our lives. Lord, we experience forgiveness and cleansing. We join King David, acknowledging many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. That's, that's what we've done this morning, Lord. These presentations, these confessions to you, they are trusting you Lord that's what took place here this morning so therefore we are to be glad in the Lord and rejoice O righteous and shout for joy all you upright in heart Lord thank you for the gift and for the ability to have an upright heart Lord Amidst all the noise and the past and the failures and the whirlwind and the self-condemnation, the fears, the doubts, what is accessible in our lives as we travel this path is an upright heart. Lord, may may there be a sense of weight lifted this morning that travels with all who have confessed. And God, may there be rejoicing and may there be new space for joy that was missing just days before this day. God, we thank you. Your ways are good and they are wise and they restore our souls. And we say thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 And bless you guys.